Hi, this is Shauna, the CEO and founder of Fuel Talent. One of the things I have loved most in my 25-year recruiting career has always been the stories that people tell. Stories of leadership, career choices, company ideas, and team building. My inspiration for starting the What Fuels You podcast came from being curious about people's lives and wanting to help share their stories. What path brought them to this place? What decisions did they make that led to failures and successes? Who influenced those decisions and what lessons were learned along the way? I hope you enjoy the What Fuels You podcast. Today on the What Fuels You podcast, I'm talking to Adina Mangubat. Adina co-founded Spiral Genetics 10 years ago at the age of 22. The company came to be after she met one of her co-founders in an entrepreneurship class who had an idea for a genetic data analysis company. Spiral Genetics was acquired by Fabric Genomics, formerly Omisha, in 2017, but left its parent company earlier this year and relaunched with a Microsoft partnership to analyze the genomes of people with heart disease. Adina has received several awards, including Women to Watch and Forbes 30 Under 30 in Science and Health. Welcome, Adina. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. I, um, I want to start with Rapid Fire, which I do on all of my podcasts, and I gave you so I gave you actually some pretty easy ones and then a couple of like, you know, more challenging ones. <laughs> okay. So given that you were raised in Seattle, mm-hmm. what's your favorite season? Oh, man. I mean, the summer here is summer just exquisite, rules. right? Yeah. I mean, there's no place better in the whole world. I completely agree. In the summer I know, in Seattle. It's best kept secret. Mm-hmm. Are you a lake or ocean person? Probably an ocean person. Yeah. yeah. Um, what was your favorite subject when you were in elementary school? I always like the sciences, sciences yeah. and arts, both of the two. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any hidden talents? I'm pretty good at karaoke. Oh. I don't know if it's that hidden. What's your karaoke song? Oh, man. I got a bunch of them. A lot of Disney. Tons oh, of really? Disney. Yeah. Tons that's... of Disney, show tunes, that kind of thing. That's awesome. Um, I might make you sing later. Do you have a good voice? I, I think so. I've been told that I do. Most Yay. people are like, whoa. Well, you, <laughs> so. I can hear your speaking voice, at least in sounding on this podcast, sounds good. Thanks. So sometimes it translates. Um, do you read fiction or nonfiction? Mostly fiction. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'll do like a few business books now and again if they're really highly recommended, but I just like fiction. Yeah. <laughs> Reading for pleasure. That's right. Um, is there a woman alive or passed on that you most admire? Hmm. Probably my mom. Yeah. Yeah. Is she living? Yeah, she is. Nice. Yeah, she's okay, just... Okay, hi, Mom. Hopefully she's listening. That's right. <laughs> she's just a powerhouse. And this is a random question, but I'm just curious um, if you have some sort of spiritual or meditation practice. Um, I do meditate. Um, I kind of go in and out in terms of my consistency, um, but uh, I did transcendental meditation for a while. Now I do kind of more guided um, but it just depends. Like using an app? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I That's like, awesome. I like the... Calm? It? I use Calm, but mostly for sleeping, actually. Yeah. Calm's um, great. But, and then um, there's another one. I've downloaded Insight both. Timer. Oh, Insight Timer. I've not used that one. Yeah. You're probably thinking of Headspace. I'm thinking of Headspace. Yeah. So I've downloaded those two. And I'm only asking because it's kind of on my mind yeah. lately, and I've been trying to do it, and so I'm always curious. Who's yeah. doing it? Yeah. Insight Timer is really great because it's got a lot of different kinds of guided meditations with different lengths, et cetera. You can also just do regular timed meditations, which are yeah. nice too. So I'm going to try it. Um, okay. You're beyond impressive. I loved researching you and learning all about your early success. 
Um, but I'm just curious if you were like this as a child, like if we were friends on Mercer Island, would um, would I have known like, oh, this is this is someone to watch? Maybe. I mean, at my time on Mercer Island, it was like pretty like emo-y because I had moved there when I was in my sophomore year. So I was oh. like the new kid on the block. Oh, I read. OK, so Mercer Island High School is where you went, but you grew up in Seattle. I grew up in like the Puyallup area, okay. like Edgewood, which okay. is like if you imagine that like Puyallup has a suburb called right. Edgewood. OK, so let's like, talk. Let's talk elementary school then. Like yeah. who were you as an elementary school kid? Um, Kind of like nerd. I was nerdy even back then, probably. Yeah. Like, were I you was, shy? Um, I wouldn't say I was super shy. I wasn't like the most outgoing person either, though. I don't know that I... I definitely didn't fall into the popular crowd. However, I would say that one thing that was kind of strange about me is that I think I kind of realized that the whole popularity game was like a farce Mm -hmm. relatively early on. Yes. And I kind of remember having this realization and being like, I wonder if other people know that (laughs) it's not actually true. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Or that these will be the kids that might actually not amount to much later in life. I just didn't think that like it had any relevance to the human beings that they were. Like whether you were quote unquote popular or not, like that was just a label that was applied. Um, Yeah. What were you kind of fueled by back then? Who were your inspirations? I was a huge astronomy nerd, like space camp, astronomy, like. Are you still? uh, Yeah. I mean, you know, when I was a kid, I wanted to be the first person on Mars. Um, and uh, I went to space camp like three times. That's like we're talking like that nerdy. It was good. That um, is good. Yeah. But it turns out. Do that you follow astrology? I don't much, no. Yeah. Um, I recently started checking out like tarot mostly mm-hmm. because um, my sister-in-law uh, got me like a deck for Christmas. And I yeah, think that that's really fun. interesting. That's a fun girls night. Just drink wine. And yeah. like it's more kind of when I think about any of that, like getting your um, your cards read or any of that. I always yeah. think that it's not necessarily about the truth that comes out or not. It's more about your reaction to it. Like, totally. what do you want to hear? Yeah. It, yeah which yeah. is kind of truth telling in yeah, itself. Exactly. It's like more of like a prompt to think yeah. about particular aspects of things. And I kind of like that. Yeah. Um, Are you thinking about things right now that you're looking for answers to? Not really. Not right now. I mean, I kind of like oscillate between like using the tarot and not, you know, when yeah. I was like going through the early stages of fundraising the second time around, I was like, okay, what will do you I think? What do you think? And uh, it said, you will definitely have as much as you need. I was like, okay, oh, well, that's, you know. Oh, good. I want to get, to, I want to get to that. I want to hear all about that. Um, so your parents growing up, your dad was a doctor. Yes. What kind of doctor? So originally he was in the like trauma surgery side oh, of the world. Oh, jeez. Um, and then eventually he, you know, like basically I think got tired of like having like things always be an emergency and yeah. having people always passing and all of that. I mean, you can ask him, but like, this is my impression, like as a kid growing up. Um, and then he eventually switched to cosmetic which is a huge switch. Yeah. Well, you're bringing joy to people instead of... Totally. Yeah. And it's a very artistic form of being a doctor, right? Because yes. it's it's so um, about the aesthetic of things. Mm-hmm. And so, like, you're more of, like, a sculptor in yes, many ways completely. than anything else, whereas everything else is very functional, like, let's mm-hmm. make sure you don't die, you know, yes. that kind of stuff. Um, and he still does, like, restor- restorative stuff as well. Interesting. And people. you have siblings? I do, Yeah. I have two brothers and one sister. And where are you in that whole birth order? I'm at the I'm the oldest, and we're all within three years of each other. Oh one of my brothers my is 
um, adopted. Um, okay. He came to us when we were both 13, which is a super interesting thing. He's actually older than me by a month. Where is he from? He's originally from the Philippines. What's that story? Yeah. My parents really decided that they they had the means to support another child, and so mm-hmm. they wanted to make that difference. But they weren't sure that they necessarily wanted to do, like, the baby stage again. Mm-hmm. And they were looking for specifically a brother for my brother because they thought that that would make, you know, nice a difference. Balanced, nice balanced yeah, family. Exactly, exactly. And then when I was, I think I was about 10, we went to the Philippines for about a month because I'm half Filipino. So we were, like, back there, like, kind of you know, getting exposed to, like, our culture for the first time, really, and, like, meeting all the relatives. And, like, in the Philippines, like, it doesn't matter if you're, like, first cousin or, like, eighth cousin, you're, like, cousin, cousin. So, you know, you meet all of these people. Um, And Elazar was the boy next door to my grandma's place um, because that's where we were all staying. And I guess he's technically our third cousin. And Alex, my uh, biological brother and Elazar just like were inseparable. It was super cute. And so your parents said, "Can we? Can we take him?" Well, I mean, so we that didn't actually cross our mind until we left. Um, and then um, you know they were talking about like you know thinking about adopting, etc. And I think that we were like in all in the car, like all in the minivan, going like on a skiing trip or something like that, like up to Crystal Mountain. And I think we were all like, "Well, what if we like adopt Elazar?" And I don't think that, like, this occurred to my parents at all as, like, an option because, like, they were like, well, look, he's got a family, like, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the big things, you know, there is that education is expensive. And um, Elazar's uh, biological sisters, he has two biological sisters and him. And his dad was really the only one that was doing, you know, like, essentially bringing in a lot of income at that time. And so there was this kind of question of, like, okay, well, if they had one less kid that they were having to provide for, what would that make possible for the other two in terms of education, in terms of actually mm-hmm. being able to afford going to college, all of those kinds of things. So, um, And so did they go to college? They did. And what about um, El- Elzar? Elzar? He did too. That's yeah. great. Um, he ended up um, doing like a physician's assistant kind mm-hmm. of like route. Um, Are ultimately. all of you guys in kind of the health, medical, wellness? No. Let me look here. So my brother Alex, um, he... Uh, originally did his degree in uh, violin performing arts and then went and got a law degree because, mm. you know, yeah. that makes sense. We have like a lot of like, because, you know, that makes sense, yeah. like in our family. Yeah. Um, you know, I got a psych degree and then I started a genetics company. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, my sister um, did violin performance and chemistry wow. and then ended up going and getting her PhD in organic chemistry. She's defending soon. So, wow. Um, and so then, lots of like big range. Oh, yeah. Doing. And then my brother Ellie is um, doing physician's assistant work with the tribes yeah. um, oh, and wow. like, you know, a lot of like pediatric kind yeah. of style work. So. That's really cool. And so yeah. when you were little, you wanted to maybe be the first person on, on Mars. Mars. Yes. And then... Um, I know that you went to UW, you're yes. Husky, and uh, where else did you look? Was UW kind of your top choice? That's where you wanted to go? I mean, honestly, like at the time, like I don't think that I really had like a lot of knowledge of what was mm-hmm. available. What, and were your parents the type of parents to kind of guide you or you were figuring it out on your own? I was kind of just figuring it out like on my own. And also like even if they had tried to help me, like, oh my gosh, I was so attitude at that time mm-hmm. that like I probably would have rejected any of the help anyway. Yeah. Plus, you know, at the time I was like dating a boy that, you know, went to UW. And so I was like... I applied and I got an early mm-hmm. admission and I was like, well, 
Done and done. I'm done. Yeah. I'm good. Did you, was that a good decision for you? Did you like it? I did. Yeah. I think that it was really, um, I think the thing that was interesting about it is that even if I had, I, at the time I thought I really wanted to major in physics. So I actually started out in physics. I was mm. there for two years or so. Mm-hmm. And ultimately I actually, and I think that if I had gone to a school that was really specifically for that, I don't know how I would have done switching out of that to something else. Because mm-hmm. the thing that for me was like challenging about physics was not the material, but the fact that none of the other people that were in it actually had any interest in the other human beings is what my experience was. Like the professors, I I don't know if this is true, but I kind of had the experience that like the professors kind of felt like they got like the short straw. And so they had to teach the freshmen or the mm. sophomores. Right. And I was just really looking for like a science that also kind of gave a shit about people. Mm-hmm. Right. And you, were so, fe- you wanted to feel inspired by. Yeah. yeah that and, makes sense. And like, I mean, you know, if you look at sciences that care about people, psych is yeah. great for that. So you studied entrepreneurship and then I read biopsychology. Yeah. What is biopsychology? Because I like, studied psychology, but I didn't it's, know. It's like the nerdier side of psych if you look at like the brain and like mm-hmm. the neurons and like all of oh, those kinds it. of things. It's not as deep as neurobio. It's kind of like... How does all of that stuff actually impact the human interaction yeah. pieces? Were you always kind of that entrepreneur, the lemonade stand type of? Not. I mean, maybe. Like, I mean, what, what made you decide to study entrepreneurship? So the entrepreneurship thing was kind of an accident at the end. Um, so I, for my first, you know, few years, I was doing like physics and then psychology, and I discovered that I really didn't like the process of doing research because I got my Bachelor of Science instead of my Bachelor of Arts. And to do the science part, you have to work in a lab. And I discovered that lab work just kind of took a long time. Mm -hmm. And um, I would say I was an even more impatient person back then. I've like worked on that. Mm -hmm. They say patience is a virtue. And I've worked on that. Um, But um, that process... I ended up in the uh, entrepreneurship side of the world mostly because my best friend, um, who ended up being the person that I ended up finally dating and then got married to, um, yeah, which is a whole story we can talk about, um, he uh, was like, well, you know, you maybe you should think about, like, this class. Like, I think that this class was, like, the most useful out of all of my, like, things that I did at college, and so you should check that out. And so I tried to do the entrepreneurship class at University of Washington, Seattle, but they were like, look, you don't have the prereqs. You have to do, like, counting or something like that. Like, a bunch of prereqs. And I was like, well, I'm not doing that. I'm in my senior year, but I'm going to take yeah. this class. And um, my best friend, Mike, at the time, he uh, had gone to UW Bothell and had taken a class up there by this professor named Alan Leong, who's awesome. He now teaches at the University of Washington, Seattle. And he was like, you know, worth it. And so I called up Alan and said, can I take your class? And I drove 40 minutes to Bothell. To Bothell and yeah. 40 minutes back twice a week because I was going to do it because... And were you thinking when you were in the class, like, oh my gosh, I want to be an entrepreneur? Um, I, I guess I noticed that I had some... There was something that I was, like, naturally, I guess, kind of good at in mm-hmm. it. Um, I don't think that... It, I mean... Even if you had told me in the middle of that class, like, oh, you're going to start a bioinformatics company, I would have thought you were probably on something, right? Like, that just didn't make sense to me. But I've been, I think I'd been interested in startups. Like, I was was an intern um, and did some consulting for two startups while I was in college, one Mm -hmm. in home automation and one in smart grid kind of stuff. 
And so I really like I think I fell in love with the concept of startups at that time, mostly, I think, because there there were two pieces. Um, One was that you could actually be somebody that made a difference even as an intern. So Mm -hmm. like everybody mattered. Right. And I was like so not interested in being like a cog in the machine right at a big company. So I think there was that. But also, too, it really showed me that you can create whatever it is that you really want to create in the world. And so I was attracted to that. But I don't think I'd ever considered like starting my own. I certainly had thoughts about like, I don't know that they did this the right way. And like, you know, I like definitely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so you entered a um, business plan competition. competition. And tell us about that. So uh, for that particular course, there is this competition called Hell Night. It happens at the end of every course that Alan offers. And basically, it's like a trade show style like thing. So everybody has like a booth and you, you know, put together your like pamphlets and you pitch people. And then every single person that walks through the door that isn't a student gets like basically a bunch of Monopoly money and gets to invest it. And so you're like pitching people live, asking them to give you your money, their money and like all of that kind of stuff. And then whoever has raised the most money at the end wins. Mm -hmm. And And how many people were you up against? No. I mean, was it like 10 or like 100? Uh, It was probably like 15 to 20, like teams. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so you guys won. We did. Um, And what was the idea? uh, It was was essentially something that was pretty close to like 23andMe before 23andMe was really like a Mm -hmm. huge thing. I'm an early 23andMe person, so yeah, I get it. Yeah. Um, Where you, yeah, if you want to explain what 23, I mean, I'm sure everyone knows what that is. uh, Basically, you know give us a spit sample, we'll analyze your DNA and say, oh my gosh, you have a predisposition for X or for Y and you should, you know, make these lifestyle changes. Like that was our idea. I don't know that 23andMe actually makes recommendations in terms of changes because I think they'd probably get in trouble for that. But that was the idea. And then, you know, 23andMe really did like a massive launch at that point. And so we were like, oh, maybe it's not a good idea to go head to head Mm -hmm. with like essentially what is a Google-backed company. Mm -hmm. Um, But you actually formed a company out of this. We didn't actually incorporate the company until a little later. Mm -hmm. Um, Was it called Spiral Genetics It was called Spiral Genetics at that time. In college. In college. In that competition. In that competition. And so just the two of you are co-founders, or you have a third co-founder? We have a third. And um, who's that? That's Jeremy. And how did you find him? Magically. I mean, honestly, uh, so I looked for a CTO type for a long time. Yeah. like, and how did you know what you were looking for? Um, well, that's a good question because, you know, it's not like I can code, right? right. But um, I would say one thing that was interesting is I lived in a house with, like, a lot of people that were serious computer scientist types. I knew what it looked like to have somebody that was, like, way off the charts when it came to that particular thing. Well, you had a My sense. CTOs. Yeah, that's yeah. smart. Yeah, you yeah. got to have that. Yeah. Um, and so what qualifications were you looking for aside from, obviously— amazing coding skills. Did you have a vision for like a a culture at that time? I don't think that I had a vision for, I don't think I was aware of like, oh, culture is a thing at that time, not like formally. Um, I was mostly looking for somebody that I thought was really smart on the computer science side that had the biology knowledge that wanted to like get on the crazy Mm -hmm. roller coaster. Mm -hmm. Um, And were you guys paying yourselves? No. And how how were you funding the company? uh, Having side jobs and like doing this in a moonlighting kind of capacity and like, you know, I mean, also, you know, you're a student at that point, right? So like you're 
cost of living is really low. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So the, you have the three of you. And yeah. then tell me about that, what that first kind of year looked like. So the first year was basically like actually a ton of different pivots because, you know, we we sorted out that we couldn't do the 23andMe thing because 23andMe was doing that. So we were like, okay, well, maybe we should do whole genome style 23andMe. And then another company called Kenome or Nomi. I don't think anybody's ever figured out how to pronounce that particular company's name. Came out and we're like, okay, not that. And then it was, we actually were like having a conversation with one of our advisors about like, you know, maybe like this isn't a good idea. Maybe we should shut it down. And we were all on a call together and we were looking at this data for how much DNA sequencing cost was dropping. Because back then, I think it was $100,000 per person hmm. to have your whole genome sequenced. And what is it now? A 1000 so, Okay. So how does someone go and do that? Um, well, so we don't do the chemistry side at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is like this. these are advances that mostly were made by Illumina, which mm-hmm. is the main sequencing instrument company in the field. I mean, like today, 90 plus percent of all of the genetic data in the world is generated off, an, off of an Illumina machine. Mm-hmm. Um, but you could just you could see the cost curve coming down, like you know, if you look at like the cost to do the whole genome, the first whole human genome, mm-hmm. like during the Human Genome Project, it was like billions, right. right? Can you explain it to our listeners who don't understand it? What what is, is genome? DNA? What is genome? Yeah, totally. Okay, so inside of your cells, like in mm-hmm. every single cell, let's look at your hand and like mm-hmm. pick a skin cell. Inside of uh, that cell is a nucleus that has DNA in it. DNA and your genome, basically the same thing. And your DNA is essentially a, it's the code of who you are. It's like the code that uh, gives your body instructions for how to make everything, you know, Uh, proteins, like different kinds of cells, all of Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. Um, And it's pretty much the same for you throughout like your entire body. There's some like research that's coming out that's like, there might be variations, but I mean, basically, when your parents, like, when the sperm and the egg come together, they form, like, the complete information of your DNA. And you Mm -hmm. get half of it from your mom and half of it from your dad. And it's basically, like, the blueprint instructions for how to make human beings. Got it. um, And all of the things that go with that, the functioning of human beings, bodies, Mm -hmm. etc. So when you read somebody's DNA or you read their genome, what you're looking at is the entire instruction code set. And the instruction code set is actually made up of three billion base pairs. That's the building block piece. Um, So if you think back to like high school biology, like the A's, G's, C's, and T's, there's like three billion of those suckers. And that's what codes for what shows up for you versus for other people. Um, It can be totally impacted by, you know, your environment in terms of which pieces of that actually get expressed. Mm -hmm. And Um, and they don't change over time. They just... Pretty much no. Okay. Um, Like cancer, for example, is like an example of when a genome has changed and Mm -hmm. basically the DNA gets damaged to the point where those cells stop listening to the body's regular instruction set. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they kind of go rogue and crazy, right? And then they ultimately like take over all of the resources of the body and it kills you, right? But that's an example of like when your DNA has been significantly changed to the point where it's been damaged. Yeah. Um, but generally, it's pretty much all the same pretty yeah. much throughout your life. And so you, so you started this company. You've got these two co-founders. You're working your side jobs. This is kind of your hustle. Mm-hmm. And at what time in your life did you realize, holy shit, I think I actually have a company 
I don't think it happened until like three years later or something and like then, that. And then you went and got funding? So um, I guess maybe the, maybe the moment where it's like, oh, man, this might really be a company is like when you raise the first money. Mm-hmm. And how did you go about that? Well, it's traditionally it's like a friends and family round, yes. right? Because like, you know, at and that time. And the seed round. Yeah. Um, and a friends and family round is basically, I mean, at that point, it's like you're a couple people in a garage with, with an idea, right? Like, so the only people that are really going to trust you enough to give you money are usually people that know you because they're betting on you. They're not betting on any technology or anything that you've done. So me and Jeremy and Becky basically asked various family members, siblings, etc. Mm-hmm. And I think that for me, like the moment that it got really real was when I was like, okay. I went and I asked my parents, I know that you were planning on helping out with grad school, but instead I actually really just want to do this company. Would you mind, like, investing in this instead of sending me to, like, grad school? Mm-hmm. And both of my parents have been, like, quite entrepreneurial, like, throughout their lives. Like, my dad runs his own practice. My mom makes all yeah. of that stuff happen. She ran her own company when she was my age doing, like, CPR training for the C- Secret Service. Um, oh, wow. Which was crazy. Yeah. Um, fun stories. Um but the uh so they so they funded you yeah i mean i i have this like very specific vivid memory of like you know basically like giving my dad like all of the caveats of like look like you know most high com- risk high risk most companies fail mm-hmm. like you know you might never see this money again did you have an actual contract yeah yeah we did and um, do you still have that probably somewhere i have That's to yeah cool. yeah did you also raise from your partner's family yeah just your family no from so all, all, of, all the of the family i mean all the parents grandparents grandma. and how much did you raise i think we raised a hundred thousand dollars total okay. between friends and family and fools you and, know? and what was that money for that was for basically one actually paying any sort of salary for any of us um but also mostly cloud computing costs because mm. you know got it that was one of the things that we were doing got it so yeah but, and, and where are you guys now? You're 10 years in? Yeah. Um, I so mean, the pivoting. So there, So basically what we ended up coming to for like the first iteration of Spiral, because I feel like there's very, there's very much like two distinct phases, right? Okay. Um, in the first phase, really the challenge that we were actually solving was how do you computationally actually analyze one person's genome? Because back then it was really hard to do. Um, it was like 30 days worth of compute just to analyze one person's DNA data to be able to come up with a list of the genetic changes that were present in you to the best of the ability that, you know, technology had at the time. And we raised $5 million over the course of that, like, first iteration and brought it down to three hours from three days. So oh, wow. It was like— Who did you raise it from? Um, so initially friends and family. Then we had, like, an angel seed round. And then— mm-hmm. um, our big break, I guess, was like our Series A, which was a $3 million, ultimately $4 million round that was mostly uh, actually 100% led by DFJ, yes. um, which is one of the big guys yeah. down in the valley. I know DFJ. Yes. That's great. And they have a presence here now, too. Yes. They had a presence back then, too. But at the time... Bigger I, down in the valley. Yeah. I mean, the person that actually like led the investment was um, a woman um, named Rachel, And so it was actually kind of, I think that also like made a difference was that I was being backed by someone that was a woman as well. Yeah, I love Um, that. And how many, how many companies, how many investors did you pitch to? A lot. (laughs) And how did they decide on you? And were you in a position to just say, thank you, I'll take it because you're the one 
investing or were you trying to be selective? And if so, did you have a vetting process? I mean, you want to be selective, but like, honestly, back like, then, like you, you take will it. take, you will take what you can get, yeah. especially because like, here's the thing. And I mean, to a certain extent, this is still a problem, but like, it was really a problem back then. I mean, mm-hmm. if you uttered the word bioinformatics back then, people would look at you crazy. Like, like what are you talking about? Yeah. Um, and, you know, the big challenge back then was, like, if you go to the tech investors, they're like, okay, I get this, like, whole algorithm Right, you're thing. like, are you tech? Are you bio? Are you bio? bio? Yeah. Like, what are you, exactly? Yeah. And if you go to the bio people, right, like, the, the tech people are like, I don't understand this genome stuff. And the bio people are like, hold on, you're not, like, you don't have to go through the FDA. Yeah. Like, how do you protect stuff? Because, like, software isn't patentable, right? So, like, how do you protect your investment? Like, so we really needed somebody that was willing to, like, straddle the line. Yes. And DFJ was that. And did group. she take a board seat? Yeah, she did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how has that been for you? Well, they're not on the board anymore because mm-hmm. um, we went through quite a bit of like stuff, which we can totally get into. Yes. Um, but I mean, I think it was good. I think that I was new to like having a board. I know that it was her first time on a board as well. Yeah. So I think that like we were both newbies trying to yeah. figure it out together. How to bring value and how to be efficient. Yeah. And, well, that's why I'm asking because I, I think that, you know, there's all sorts of different types of people that I think are listening to the podcast. But I'm thinking if I'm a young entrepreneur, yeah, what can I learn from like what not uh, to do or what to do as far as finding I an mean, investor? If you have the choice. I mean, the biggest thing that I can say is maintain majority control, mm-hmm. babies. Like just... That's that's the most important thing, right? Because, mm-hmm. like, everything else – because here's the thing. Like, eventually Rachel left DFJ and I got somebody totally different, right? So, right. like, you know, you don't – the person that makes the investment isn't necessarily going to be the person that's on your board for forever, right? Um, and you might yeah. disagree with them, but if you have majority ownership, then, like – then you're in a position tough, to, yeah. you know, tough luck and you can actually like do something about it yeah. and they can have an opinion. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's not to discount their opinion by any means. But yeah, if you have majority control, you can really control the destiny of your company. And if you mm-hmm. don't, then a lot of crazy stuff can happen. And yeah. that's part of the stories I think people hear. So my question is, like, before you got acquired, what was the business model? Yeah. And how did it how has it changed? Yeah. Uh, And what was that whole process like being acquired? Yeah. So we, it was a software, like we were just basically selling software licenses on a per genome basis. Okay. Um, But I think, you know, one of the things that happened as part of doing all of that work was that we gained a fair amount of scientific credibility such that people started to come to us and say like, hey, you guys seem to know something about this bioinformatics thing. Like here's some other problems we're thinking about. Like, what do you think about that? And um, one of those conversations was was the impetus for the major pivot that we eventually made into the population genomic space, which is what we do now. Mm-hmm. Um, so popula- so initially it was how do you analyze one person's genome? Specifically it, speci- for to, to predict or anticipate. I mean, honestly, at that point, it's just find, just find the genetic variations. Okay. Because one thing I do want to like, like – you know, for the people that are listening, right? Like one thing that is a, a fun fact is that um, I think that people often think that we are way more advanced as a globe in terms of our over- overall understanding of the genome. Um, and we're not. Like we as a globe have characterized about 1%, maybe a little less than 1% of all human variations and associated them with anything. Height, weight, eye color, breast cancer risk, like anything. So when you get your 
results from 23andMe or you get your whole genome done. I mean, like, what we can say about that and do with that is actually quite limited. But the reason why that is is because doing DNA sequencing was really expensive. And the only way to actually figure out which pieces of the genome do what is to compare people, right? Compare people that have a disease right. with people that don't. So that's the value is just getting gathering all that data. Exactly. So that's what Got we're it. doing now. And the reason why we made the switch is because there's this massive kind of new emergence of what are called country genome sequencing projects. So most people don't realize this, but um, governments around the world are funding huge amounts of sequencing of the populations of their people, the genomes of the populations of their people. So like the United States has committed to sequencing one million people. You can volunteer for this if you go to allofus.gov and sign up. They'll send you, you know, all of the information. What do you get, like $50? No, it's free. But why why would somebody want to do that so they can get their report? I mean, for them to get their report, but also like a lot of people just want to actually contribute to the understanding of like human health, right? Because... One person's genome is really only as valuable as the number of people you can really compare it against because that gives you the context to know what is what. Mm -hmm. The only way we're going to be able to figure out which genetic changes are the ones that are important for various diseases is if we can compare people that have it versus people that don't. And the search space of the genome is huge. I mean, we're talking about 3 billion base pairs per person. Mm. Which ones of those are the ones that are important for various diseases and which combinations? It's so it's really fascinating vast. and unbelievable that you've become an expert in I the know. field. Yeah. As a young, I mean, you're still so young in your career. Yeah. When you were acquired, how many employees did you have and kind of we why? Had eight. And why, why were you open to being acquired to begin with? Yeah. What so, was that going to bring to the business? So we were really kind of, we basically came to this point in 2017, something really important happened for the industry, which was that the emergence of country genome sequencing projects happened. I mean, there was basically, there was Genomics England and they were the first like way before that. And they were like, we're going to sequence 100,000 people. And everybody thought that they were like crazy town. Um, but a couple of years later, like 2017 rolls around and then there's like 10 country genome sequencing projects. And by 2018, there were 30 and now there's 50, right? And so we saw that there was like this massive wave of data coming and we were like, okay, it's time because we had developed the technology to be able to deal with population genomics stuff back in 2014 based off of a conversation that we'd had with a customer. But Back then, there was like maybe two customers in the world that could potentially use that. So we didn't do anything to commercialize it. But then 2017 rolls around, you have 10 country genome sequencing projects. It's time to commercialize that. And that was a pretty massive pivot from like just analyzing individual genomes. Mm -hmm. So we had a choice of like, do we want to raise like a massive B and try and convince our investors to like allow us to do a massive pivot? Like, or do we want to partner with somebody? And we had been... um, in partnership with um, Omisha for many, many years up in, up into this point. Mm-hmm. And basically we sat down and they were looking to expand their capabilities as well um, because what they do is like the interpretation of genomes mm-hmm. um, after we found find the variations, like how do you interpret, like which pieces do what uh, from a clinical perspective. So I was like, oh, this is perfect. It seems like a perfect marriage. Exactly. And so we did the uh, acquisition merger and... The entire goal at that point was like, okay, let's become the population genome sequencing company together. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's 
that's where we started out. Mm-hmm. So, How long were you partnered with them? Because I know that I yeah. read that now you've kind of pivoted again. Yeah, we were with them for about one year. And basically the short version is there was kind of like a change in terms of like overall direction and vision. Mm-hmm. Um, you started out on the same page. We started and... out on the same page and we did not end on the same page. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I think that we're just pursuing really different markets. Like yeah. I am super bullish on the population genomics market because I think that that's what's going to really power the next generation of like understanding of you know, health and new mm-hmm. drugs and new diagnostic stuff. I mean, everything, really. And I just don't think that it's possible without population scale, mm-hmm. scale stuff. Um, and they really wanted to focus on the clinical market, which is also, you know, it's super important, right? Like, right. you know, but you have to kind of pick a lane and you kinda, exactly. double down on it. Exactly. Then what? How do you undo that if you realize that it's not going to work? Carefully. <laughs> yeah. Did, were you prepared as a young person, as a woman, to kind of have these really hard conversations? Um, I mean, I guess I was in that I did it, right? But I mean, um, it wasn't comfortable by any means. I mean, like... And who's your go-to? Do you have any mentors or anybody that you can lean on? I mean, honestly, during that time period, I don't know that there was anybody that could help me do that because, I mean, I tell this story to investors right now when, like, I'm pitching, Right. And people are like, hold on, hold on. You unacquired your company? Like, how do you, what? I've never heard of that happening before. Mm-hmm. Like the way that it actually happened. Mm-hmm. Um, like you you were acquired and then you took your company back. Yeah. Okay. Um, and like. Are your same partners still with you? Um, well, Becky left um, like way before the acquisition okay. um, for personal reasons. Um and Jeremy is still involved as a board member, but is not, and like, you know, but, but you're not. the one that's still operating the company. Yeah. I mean, but like, wow. you know, eight of us went into the acquisition of, and eight of us came out. Right? And how and many are you now? It. We're nine now. We just hired one wow. more. So um, we didn't lose anybody, which is lovely. Yeah. Um, but yeah. The, but you yourself ha- handled these conversations and these yeah, I mean, transactions. With, with lawyers. Yeah, but with yeah, lawyers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, course. I would say, you know, in terms of like people that I had helping me along the way, um, really great counsel makes a huge difference. And, oh, yeah. Um, I have a very, I would say I have a special relationship with like my lawyer. Like, you know, a lot of people don't have close relationships with their legal representation, but I do. Mm-hmm. Um, I would, I mean, I definitely consider him a friend. Um, and so it made a difference for me to not only have great counsel that could really help me guide, you know, guide me through like the logistics of the whole thing, but also having somebody that like had been with me long enough and like could level with me and be like, girl, I know this shit sucks. And yes. like, you know, and, yeah. and be able to do that as yeah. well. So that Was there ever kind of a rock bottom or like a, oh my gosh, I can't see the light moment? I, totally. I mean, like. Basically, the moment where um, we were told that they would not be pursuing this line of work at all, um, pretty much at all. Like a punch in the gut. It it was, I mean, I just didn't know how we were actually going to have it all work. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't think that the team did either. Um, Like, but they were willing to wait it out with me. And I mean, I think that that's... That's amazing. That, that speaks to your leadership. Thank and, you. And I mean, I've done a lot of work on myself to really, I think, get to the place that I am now. In the early days of being a CEO, I was very concerned for looking like I had all of it together. 
And so one of the big management philosophies that I have, and I don't know how this will scale when we actually like get much the, larger. The transparency. But we are, ex- I'm extremely transparent. Like everybody knows how many months we got left in the bank at any given time. Like as we're getting down to the wire, which happens, you know, like it's like we have six months, we have five months, we have four, mm-hmm. three, two, one. And I mean, we've run out of money straight up. And I'm like, okay, guys, I'm sorry. Um, and they've, like, all, they've all stayed. Yeah. That's through like, amazing. Like crazy, like crazy amazing people. Wow. Um, I'm incredibly blessed to have them. And I think that also we do try and select for people that have pretty high risk tolerance because yeah. startups are really messy. Um, yeah. I mean, maybe other people's aren't, but like I've talked to a lot of founders and like they're just messy. Yeah, they're messy. People have to have the stomach for it and they have to. It sounds yeah. like they all believe that they're. They've bet on the right product, the right horse, as far yeah. as you as a leader. But when you go to find talent, um, is there a common thread among the spiral genetics people that you're like, this is what we all have in common? Um, well, we're all definitely a little weird. <laughs> That's for sure. Hashtag weird. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think I think one of the things that we're interested, or at least I'm interested in, is who is this person as a human being? Mm-hmm. Um. I think it probably comes from, like, the psych side of me, right? But I'm very interested in, like, who are you beyond, like, your... Inside these walls. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, your work product, right? Yeah. Um, what fuels you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I'm interested in that. I'm interested in people's ability to see um, beyond, like, just their specific area that they're contributing in. What are trends that you see? And why do you think those trends are important? And I'm looking for, like, how much peripheral vision do they really have around the world around them? So I'm interested in that. I'm interested in, like, how much do they value, like, other people on their team? Interesting. I I listen a lot to the How I Built This podcast. Mm -hmm. And actually this morning I was listening to the Yelp one. And Jeremy um, Stoppelman, I think is his name, the CEO. And obviously it's a publicly traded, like, whatever, multi-billion dollar company. Mm was saying that in the early days, people thought he was young because he's like you. like, And so they would literally say in investor meetings and in board meetings, like, we need some gray hair at the table. Yeah. Do you hear that ever? I used to a lot. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Um, well, because yeah. even though you're 10 years older than you were when you started, you're still young. Oh, yeah. And I look like I'm 12. Yeah, I was I mean, about like, to say, and I, I mean, yeah. nobody can, people who can't see you Google, Adina, she's gorgeous and <laughs> young and amazing skin yeah, and half filipino yeah you know, no like gray hair happens. no wrinkles yeah. it's just bs yeah we hate you well yeah. we love you hate you yeah well i just got to study my genetics <laughs> and then we can work it out you know yeah, bring me some of that <laughs> filipino some of that. i need some of that um <laughs> but, so do you yeah. hear that and what about have you tried to kind of put some gray hair in the room or is your team mostly i have attempted in the past to do so and frankly every time i've done that it actually has not been helpful mm-hmm. um I, I don't know. Here, I think part of it is um, I think that having gray hair on the board is helpful. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily know if it is in this industry. And the reason why I say that is because this industry is so new. So new. Yeah. Right. Like, well, it's like some of our clients that are in like um, uh, like Bitcoin companies that are like, can you find us an engineer who's done? And we're like, um, no. these are we're all learning as we go. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. like, you know, try Find me somebody that's got gray hair that has experience in Bitcoin. Yeah. Good luck with that. Right. right? Like, of what you know, clients want, we call it the purple unicorn. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I just don't think that it's actually, and I think also that that's part of the reason why I've been able to do what I've done, right? Because people often ask me, like, 
how. Like, mm-hmm. how did you start a company mm-hmm. in a field that you had no experience in? You didn't have computer science experience. Yeah. You didn't have genetics experience. Yeah. You didn't have yeah. business experience. Yeah. Like, what's the and deal? And what, what is your ninja skill? Like, if you were to go get hired yeah. at another startup oh my gosh. or at Amazon <laughs> or something, would you be in marketing? Would you be in sales? Would you be in corp dev? Maybe. I don't know. Definitely would have to be something innovative because I would get bored very fast. Are you strong operationally? I think I'm reasonable operationally. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's definitely people that are better at that yeah. than I am. Yeah. Um, and have you put any of these rituals in place as far as like in the morning I get up and I no. blah, blah, blah. All the things we want to be doing no. besides flossing. Like, no. you know, those nice to have. No, I don't. don't. I don't at all. I mean, um, I know that some people are like, the early bird gets yeah. the worm and blah, blah, blah. But you okay. know what? I got to be honest. Like, I am not a morning person. And it's so funny because no one at the company is either. So you guys start at like 1030? Yeah, 1030, 11. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we have a very interesting culture in that perspective. Like, from that perspective, like, we really trust our people very deeply. So mm-hmm. it's like, look. Be an adult. Be an adult. Get it done. Yeah. Like, core hours, three days a week from 11 to 4. Yeah. That's all we're asking. Yeah. And... You know, part of the reason why we do that is because, like, there are a number of people in this company that are, like, the vampire types. Mm. Like, that's me. Like, you know, best working hours, like, 11 p.m. to, like, 2 a.m. if I could. Really? Oh, yeah. And, like, I know that a number of, like, our developers are like that. I mean, and you can see it with the code check-ins, like, 3 a.m. I mean, we have one that's, like, just goes on, like, late-night weekend vendors on, like, coding. And I'm like, okay. But if... We're going to have people get, like, their most efficient hours. I can't have a 9 a.m. meeting. You can't tell them how. Never. Yeah, the conventional wisdom is not always the right. Yeah. yeah. It so, just doesn't make any sense. So that's what we do right now. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen, you know, when we someday scale mm-hmm. to, like, a gigantic company, right? But that's what we do right now. And we really are looking to honor the uh, ability for people to really select what are the best times for them to be productive rather mm-hmm. than just like mandating it's a nine to five. Yeah. Which and most people hate anyway. They hate it anyway. So. <laughs> and what, what's kind of keeping you up at night now in the business? Because you've gotten through this yeah. kind of unacquisition piece. Yeah. So as you look forward. Hiring to a certain extent, like yeah. at least on the business side. Dev, I have no concerns for. Yeah. Um, But on the business side, I mean, like, I feel like it's like a purple unicorn. Like right now I'm doing all of the sales pretty much. I have like one other person that I work with on the team that does some like technical sales stuff, Mm -hmm. which is awesome. But like he and I have like been working together, I think now for like at least five years. It might be seven. I don't know. It's been a long time. Um, And I don't know how to find other people like us that Mm. can do this. Yes. Without like a massive learning curve. And maybe the truth is that there's just a massive learning curve and you just yeah. get a deal. So you said that you're spending time selling and that this other uh, colleague of yours is also selling. What is the exact business model right now? Yeah. So we sell software licenses. Um, mm-hmm. To? To mostly country genome sequencing projects. So okay. um, we're working with a number of countries around the world now. Um, mm-hmm. Can't tell you who, just from a... You know, non-disclosure, yeah. privacy perspective. But, but if I was your new hire and you're mm-hmm. trying to develop me yes. as a salesperson, are you? What are you saying to me to vet my ability? Because I might be able to sell, but selling into countries yeah. is different than like enterprise sales. Or... I mean, so it is enterprise. Like when I say countries, like often what's happening is that the countries are funding 
new private companies to mm-hmm. actually do it. So it is enterprisey in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's long sales cycle. But they are super long. I mean, that's like oh, yeah. the talk about bureaucracy and trying to figure out who the decision makers are and... There's not as much of that as you might think. I have a total picture in my mind, which is like, I can sell, but that sounds like really hard to me. Yeah. I mean, so it's not, you're not going for like government tender or something oh, okay. crazy, right? So because so it's not that you're selling to governments, mm-hmm. but you are selling to entities that have been funded by the governments to Got do it. specific things. Got it. So it's a, it's it's a weird thing. I mean, I don't know that there is a... A lot of historical precedent for that, right? Yeah, no. Um, and so if you're at, if Z is like, holy shit, we've arrived and I am a success. Yeah. Where are you? Are you at like D or like L or like P? <laughs> uh, like, I don't know, maybe like G or something like that. It's so bad. I'm like A, B, C, D, E, F. Oh, G. Yeah. Okay. I mean, like it's toward the beginning. <laughs> it's like toward the, like... Toward the, the beginning, half. but it's like it's like at the end of the start. The I end guess. of the start. So you're so you're like in puberty. You're like hitting high school. <laughs> We're the awkward teenage years. It's those yeah. awkward teenage years, but you're like finding your own voice. Yeah, I mean, basically where we're at is like we have product, mm-hmm. and it, you have competition. We. Not as much as you might think. Not for doing exactly what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Most, pretty much everybody else in the industry is doing it the old school way of like analyze each person individually. Mm-hmm. Um. And And are you scared that, like, Google or someone could just come in and... I mean, they could, potentially, but... Or acquire you? (laughs) I mean, they... I think that that's more likely, um, is that they would want to acquire us. I mean, the thing that we have done is we've developed a very, very unique piece of technology. It's, like, the big... The big secret is really, like, how do we structure the data? It's a data structure issue. Yeah. Um, And that enables us to do crazy things that nobody else can do um, in terms of, like, comparison, um, applicability to machine learning, because machine learning is very sensitive to the quality of the data you put in. Yeah, I was just thinking that. Oh, yeah. It's very sensitive to the quality of the data that you put in. And so one of the things that we get by structuring the data the way that we do and doing the analysis the way that we do is that the quality is just so much higher. Mm -hmm. Um, And it lends itself better to machine learning. Um, I think, you know, if you think about like machine learning, people, like for something simple, right? Like teaching um, the computer to like identify pictures of cats, right? Like in the in the early days, people were like, "Oh, well, maybe we should like teach it what a cat is, like eyes and whiskers and noses and etc." Right? And scary. I'm scared and, of cats. Oh, I'm scared <laughs> of cats. I am. Are you really? Yeah, I'm scared of cats. Anyway, go. <laughs> we'll talk I'm like of that. all things. No, I'm, I'm getting better. We can talk about dogs and stuff. I That's love fine. dogs. Okay, good. We're switching to dogs yeah, for this let's analogy. Do dogs. So, you know tongues and you know all of that slobber slobber yeah and so in the early days they were like we're going to teach it like these features and that was like a disaster totally didn't work at all and they were like okay well maybe if we'd like teach it like outlines of dogs like the lines and like edge detection and like maybe that'll make a difference didn't work either turned out that like ultimately if you just feed the machine learning algorithms the raw pixels it's way more efficient so because of the way that we structured the data, we can feed in a lot more raw information that has been um, more or less untouched um, and still be fast enough to be able to actually, like, have it play with the machine learning algorithms. Like, so that's really that's the key. Fascinating. Um, and the um, there's just not a lot of other technology out there mm-hmm. that I'm aware of. Are you, are you kind of gun shy from doing any sort of change as far as being acquired again or 
you know, I'm sure you get asked, like, what's your end game? And yeah. I don't really love that question for me because I'm like, I'm young and I'm building. And I mean, so am I more gun shy about um, being acquired? I would say if I was acquired in the future, I would have some very specific requirements about what that would look like and the specific guarantees and like also just, you know, really knowing that like the alignment goes all the way up to the top of the board. Um, that's something that I didn't do, right? Like mm -hmm. I really checked it out with the CEO and the CEO was like, yeah, right. But like the CEO ultimately wasn't, wasn't the voice for everyone else. Well, it, they are ultimately aren't in charge, right? Because the board is the person that controls who's in charge of CEO, right? Mm -hmm. And so like, you know, making doesn't matter sure that, if we're on the same page. That's right. Yeah. So, like, making sure that the board is on the same page is yeah. like some of the stuff that I would definitely make sure I do yeah. in a second run. Interesting. Um, yeah. Huh. Um, I also read, and I'm switching gears here, but I also read that you did the 30 under 30. Yes. How did that come about, and how did that change your life? Yeah. Um, so back then, the 30 under 30 was kind of. I mean, I think that was the second year that they did it, and back then there was no nomination process or anything like that that the public could actually contribute to in any way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. um, so how did they find out about you? You know, I really don't even know still to this day. I have my suspicions. My suspicion mm -hmm. is that it was Luke Timmerman um, who eventually, like, was at Forbes and, like, you know, but he was doing Exconomy back then. And, you know, they're looking for young CEOs in the science side, Um and I think that my name got tossed into the ring that way. But I don't really know. That's um, really cool. And it kind of was this interesting windfall kind of moment um, in that it afforded me a lot of pieces. I think it's part of the reason that I got the initial, like, offer from um, DFJ. I think it had people take me more seriously. Mm -hmm. um, I, I mean, it's not the only thing. There was definitely, like other stuff that happened. So there wasn't a nomination process, but was there an interview process? Nope. So they just said, hey, it's us. I literally you won. Got, I literally got a call from like the editor, I think. Mm -hmm. And he was like, hey, like we want to include you. Like we need, you know, your name and your bio and a uh, headshot by this time. And like. That's incredible. It was have like, you ever um, applied for Ernst & Young? I have. Uh -huh. I have. Have you I done ha that? I haven't been accepted yet. Yeah. But we're going to change that. Hey, e let's talk. Yeah. We will, we, yeah. <laughs> I, I, we will talk, Sue. We will talk. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. And what about Y Combinator? Yeah. So after we unacquired the company, so that actually happened at the beginning of 2018, mm -hmm. but we really needed to kind of like get everything reset before we, you know, came out and was like, and we're like, hello, we are here, right? Because- it's it was such an unusual situation that if we had just, you know, came out and said like business we, as usual. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, what what was what would be right there for people or my concern at the time was like, okay, what on earth happened? Like, what's wrong with you guys that like your parent company was like, nope. So I really felt like I needed to actually have a strong story when I was like relaunching. And having the Microsoft partnership really made a difference. Um, and then also, you know, being able to go through Y Combinator also made a big difference mm -hmm. as well. And what is Y Combinator exactly? Y Combinator is, I mean, people might debate this, but it's pretty much the best startup accelerator in the world. Um, I mean, some of the best companies, most well-known companies out there came out of that. Airbnb is the classic, but I mean, it's been, there are a lot of companies, mm -hmm. tons, Stripe, I mean, things that you know about. Um, 
And um, and that's an application process. That and... is an application process, although ours, of course, we don't do anything, I think, in an orthodox manner. Um, ours was very unorthodox in that we applied totally late, mm-hmm. um, partially because it just it hadn't crossed my mind as something that would be possible because we were like a old company yeah, by like, that. Are we a startup? And what, what defines a startup? We're well, like... you know, like. Yeah, I just I was I was thinking like we're an old company. Like I don't know if they're gonna take us. And my friend Omri was like, You're being an idiot. Number you need one. To do it. And how many companies are in it? <laughs> um it, this last batch was two hundred and five. Mm-hmm. And that was their largest batch, I think, up until this point. But their acceptance rate was like super low. I mean, I think it was one point seven percent. Wow. So that's incredible. And yeah. so what is it exactly just for our listeners for people who don't, don't know? Yeah, startup accelerator. Yeah. So, um, I, the pro, I mean, each startup accelerator is different, but like the way that this one works is basically, um, you have specific goals that you like put, make for yourself in collaboration with your Y Combinator partners, your YC partners. Um, and you report on those every two weeks Mm -hmm. and you are put into a smaller group. So I was in group three B, I think was my group. Mm -hmm. Um, and we were mostly other like kind of life science companies and you report on like what's working you share about like what's working what's not working you ask for help it's and i i would say like one of the biggest things that's nice about y combinator is you just you're finally in an environment with other people that are dealing with the same stuff you're dealing with Mm -hmm. and they actually get it because the number of people in your life that actually get what you're dealing with when you're starting a company yeah pretty low were there any other female ceos in your oh yeah group yeah, there were. In life sciences CEOs. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. great. Yeah. Um, I mean, I I don't know if YC is doing things specifically to try and mm-hmm. like up that, but um, it was very diverse, um, which was really awesome. Yeah, that's um, really awesome. You know, women of color too, which was freaking yes. great. Like I was, so good job YC. Yeah. You're doing a good job on that part. And how long is the program? Uh, so it's 10 weeks. 10 weeks. And so you're, you're speaking every couple weeks. Yeah. And there's like homework and accountability. I mean, homework, and, yeah. yeah. I mean, you make your own homework, but yeah. yeah. Um, and you ultimately are preparing for this event called Demo Day, mm-hmm. um, where you pitch live in front of like a thousand people, a mm-hmm. thousand investors. And then everybody's got an app and they can like say that they like you. Mm-hmm. And, and how'd you do? We did well. Yeah, we did very well. I mean, ultimately, it's not like you're not looking for the greatest number of likes. You're looking for, like, did you attract people that are actually interested in you? Mm-hmm. So you get information about, like, number of likes. So it's quality over quantity. Oh, yeah. Number of likes. How many likes did that person give overall? Right? So if they liked 100 other companies versus, like, they liked 10 companies. Interesting. Those are really interesting. Um you get a lot of information, average check size, uh, how many checks do they typically write in a six-month period of time, how active have they been, um, reviews from prior founders that have interacted with them, whether they've taken money or not, mm-hmm. um, throughout the entire YC network. I would say that that's, frankly, one of the most valuable pieces of YC is mm-hmm. that you get this huge amount of institutional knowledge. Yeah. Of And just exposure. Like, think yes. of all those people now know who you are. Mm-hmm. And have you done a good job of building your network? Is that a key component to your role as CEO? Uh, Definitely, yeah. I mean, you know, I think that one of the things that was the most challenging, and and Mike Flynn did a column uh, recently, and I was saying that that's that's the one thing that you just can't 
have when you're really young is like your network is just super thin. Yes. Um, and that's the only thing that you can build over time. Like mm -hmm. you just have to have time in order to do that. So I would say the network now is quite extensive. But back when I was 22, it was like barely there. Yeah. Um, but I would say that's one of the benefits that I had uh, coming out of Alan's class is because he brings in a lot of people. That's great. And so you have kind of like this interesting starter network and people are so willing yeah. to help. Yeah. So. And where in all of this, I'm switching gears again, but where in all of this did you find time to get married? And <laughs> uh, you said there's a story there. So this is the guy that encouraged you yeah. to take the entrepreneurship class. Yeah. And then you married him. Yes. Your best friend. Yes. And sounds like he's a great support. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We were besties for seven years. Like um, no... No. I mean, we were both in, like, relationships with other people, right? Wow. The entire time. And then we were both finally single at the same time. And it was, like, I mean, we were literally just, like, sitting on a couch. It was, like, not, like, some, like, crazy, like, romantic gesture. It was just, like, one of those, like, I think I like you. I think I like you, too. And who said it first? I don't know that I remember. I think we were both dancing around the, like, subject Does he remember? <laughs> Can we know. call him? Like, Can we phone a friend? Think? Yeah. And, so interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, we it was it was a big decision, right? Because oh, yeah, it's like it's putting it, it at risk. Oh, totally, right? You know, yeah. if like you screw that up, then there goes my bestie. Totally. I mean, potentially, right? Yeah. Um, but we had done we've done like a lot of personal and professional development work together over time. That's really um, great. And so, I think that he and I both kind of felt like I know ish what I'm getting into, like yes. really, like in a in a level of depth that most people don't, right? Yes. Because if you go through like personal and professional development courses together, you really get to see what is it that this. What's been the most impactful one? Um, did you do the forum. I did do the forum. Did the you do the advanced great. forum. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I did yeah. all of that stuff. Did the self expression leadership program. Um, I actually like lead introductions for them now, and I eventually would love to be like a self-expression leadership program. Leader. I don't even know what that is. Uh, what self-expression leadership program? Oh, I've never even heard of it. It's it, after so for people that are not aware, there's this because um, I did the forum. I did that like the yeah, landmark forum, the, the very beginning forum. one. Yeah, so the landmark forum is a personal and professional development course. So for those of you who are not familiar with it, um, and after that one is very impactful, as you probably saw, mm -hmm. like on its own. After that, they have the advanced course, um, which is really about, like, how you really interact in groups, right? Like, that's, like, the purpose of it. So forum is you as an individual. Advanced is about you in groups. And then the self-expression leadership program is the one that comes after that, and that's about you within communities and the oh, world. Oh, so it's part of the Landmark Forum. It's not it's part like, of, it's part of the, it's part of Landmark. Oh, got um, it. They call it, uh, they call it the curriculum for living. I think I might just, I mean, it's been literally almost 20 years since I've done these things, but it seems fun to do them again. You would probably like it. I mean, the, yeah. the self-expression leadership program is pretty cool because people basically create projects, yeah. usually nonprofit projects. And the the point of it is to actually have you learn how to mobilize communities and are you to doing achieve that? something. Um, I've taken that course and I have done things like that. Um, so like one of my projects was this thing called the Sparks Fly Society. And it was basically around like how do you create magic ongoingly in relationships. And so we uh, one of the things that my husband and I have been doing now for a while is this thing called Surprise Date Day where we take turns planning a day of fun things for the other person with the other person knowing what is going to happen. 
And it really like creates like the sense of like magic and adventure and like there's all sorts of things that you can do. I mean, we can do like really like chill things and you can also do crazy things like jumping out of a perfectly good airplane, which happened once. Um, <laughs> I love that. Yeah, so it was great. And so one of the things that we did was um, creating that this could be something that other couples could do. So all of the couples would like do this on the same day. And then we'd get together for dinner in the evening and, like, share about, like, what happens. That way you could inspire each other for the next That's surprise date. amazing. Day. So that was one of the things that I did as a project. So you can do – but you can do anything. I mean um, – That's the, super cool. Yeah. That's a whole other side of you. I'm like, here we are. I'm like, not that I'm not interested in spiral genetics. It's really <laughs> cool. Like – Genome sequencing. I love all of it. But genome that's, sequencing gen- and surprise date day. It is really, really you know? cool. But surprise date day is, yeah. is awesome. I would highly recommend it. It makes a huge difference. And here's the thing. It doesn't even have to be complicated. Yeah. You know? I mean, like, we had a surprise date day recently where it was like, okay, like, what we're going to do in. is like, we're going to, well, we did like, you know, some like cute romantic stuff in the morning. And then it was like, now let's like take care of the things that have been like on our plates that we just haven't made time for mm-hmm. and like get them complete so that way we have more space for us and it's like not taking up our mental space. So yeah. it's like changing the car battery for All the, the car that it's like nice to have that you don't really want to deal totally. with. Totally. But when you're doing it together, it, it helps make yeah. it less and if you, burdensome. Totally. And if you're doing it with like the intentionality of like it being romantic, like, you know what? You can make anything romantic. Vacuuming yes. about the car can be romantic. You just yes, gotta sort that can. out. So Yes, it can. I love that. You're well matched, which makes it much easier to be an entrepreneur. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's I mean awesome. We entrepreneurs are a special brand of crazy, um, and I am very fortunate to have an incredible partner that I can count on and rely on for making it all happen. One of the questions in my preparing for this is I am always curious to ask other CEOs how they stay organized. Everything has to go in the calendar. That's like my organization Mm -hmm. strategy. And you have a great assistant. I do. Yeah. She's amazing. Um, I'd say if, if it's not in the calendar, it does not exist for me. Um, and that has gotten to the point where it includes like emails that need to be written. So like one of the things that like Deborah, my assistant does is like, she will go through and be like, okay, these are the 10 that actually have to get done today. So she'll calendar them. Uh Uh-huh. That's great. Yeah. So it, I mean, that is like Deborah and my calendar are my secret And do you calendar out, um, (laughs) I guess it would be 11 PM to 2 AM, your kind of thinking time? Um, Occasionally, like I don't know that I use that time as much as I would like to, just because there's lots of other life things that are going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I definitely, I mean, I calendar in everything: sleeping, yeah. oh wow, showering. I have a PowerPoint to send you. My, I have to ask my time. friend first, but she created a whole hacking calendar of like hacking she, calendar. Well, she put in there like sleep. She, it's just awesome. Yeah, I'll ask her if I can send it to you because she's amazing. Okay, an incredible other female CEO. Um, okay, so from my final question is yes. ultimately the end of the day. What fuels you? It's all about making a big difference for people. Like that ultimately is the thing that seems to unite everything that I'm doing, whether it's like surprise date day or it's, um, you know, my business. Like I'm just interested in like, how can I make the greatest difference while I'm here on this planet? I think I get like from a life philosophy perspective, I think that I get like one shot. Um, if I get reincarnated, like as a bonus round, hooray. Um, the tarot cards say you're coming back as a cat. Maybe, but, um, yeah, that's what I'm here for. Um, I love it. Yeah. Well, thank you for doing it. And thank you for setting such a good example for our community, for your industry, for women. 
Um, and as a as a wife, I feel inspired by Surprise Date Day. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. You're very welcome. Thank you yeah. for having me. Look at that. We made it just a perfect time for perfect you to get time. to your next meeting on your, uh, what is this thing called? Scooter. Yeah, but what's unicorn. it called? It's called a the Unicorn, yeah. Uh, for your I, friend? Yeah. IRideUnicorn.com yes. is where you can get your very own cute, adorable scooter. Mine has streamers, which you can see if you can get them to give you yes, custom this, this streamers. This thing is super badass, and um, <laughs> everyone needs one. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> see ya. Thank you for listening to the What Fuels You podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, and follow us on social media to keep up with the latest news and episodes. You can also contact us at podcast at fueltalent.com to provide feedback, ask questions, and share topics or guests you would like us to cover in the future. We hope you feel inspired by our guests and that we have helped fuel your day. Join us next time for another episode of What Fuels You.